Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Paper Boys. We have an exciting paper this week about probing for consciousness in the brain. Consciousness is one of those hard things to measure, but this is a very interesting paper that's come out where they actually systematically try to measure at least some level of consciousness. And surprisingly, they are able to actually control it with electrical stimulation in a monkey. Yeah, this part like actually blew my mind. Like they just, they turn on the signal and these monkeys just like come out of a coma and they like suddenly do, they do their homework and then they go back to sleep. Uh, <laughs> it was, it's pretty wild. The the whole thing, I don't know. And it was a nice build up getting to, getting to the real meat of this one. So yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think you all are going to enjoy it. If you're interested at all in neuroscience or consciousness, the brain at all, I think this is a great episode for you. So we hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Paper Boys, the weekly podcast where we unravel the research papers behind the latest major headlines in science. I am your host today, James, with an exciting brain-related article, and of course, as always, fellow host, Charlie. Welcome, Charlie. Hello, James. The way you just said that made it sound like you are an exciting brain-related article. Uh, that's what I was trying to... That's exactly what I meant to say. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> Mission accomplished. Okay. So in that case, you'll be presenting on yourself today. <laughs> giving us your life story no. and the methods behind your madness. Well, in a way, yes. In a way, no. But this <laughs> paper is mean? about consciousness. Oh, okay. This paper is about consciousness. I see. Which is, uh, as one researcher stated, at once the most familiar and the most mysterious part of our lives. Dude, that's like pretty deep and true. Yeah. It's like, whoa. So you know? it's like, whoa. <laughs> How do you measure that? Yeah. We'll get into it. So the paper is about consciousness. Like, is it a philosophy paper or? No, this is like a hard science paper, like trying to figure out where to measure consciousness in the brain and not only measure, but manipulate consciousness. Dude, no. Okay. In, in, a, in a way, in like a defined set of boundaries. Yeah. I mean, we've done enough of these episodes that I know that it's not some like ex machina kind of creepy human manipulation thing but are alien life forms in a keplerian planet manipulating consciousness of monkeys uh i mean that is possible i read that in the national Enquirer last week <laughs> we should someday just combine all the wacky headlines from like you know like pick out like the keyword from each one and combine them into this like uber sensationalized headline yeah, or we should do like a bonus episode where we take like tabloid articles that turned out to be based on something real. Ooh, yeah. Uh, this one, fortunately, is slightly more steeped in actual science. And it was really fascinating. You know, this idea of consciousness is so metaphysical, it can be hard to actually really pin it down in a way that you could measure it. And it was a super interesting read for me to see how you even go about doing this. So they were looking at what are the brain structures that are important in modulating consciousness and 
with that knowledge, can you do anything to actually change the conscious state of an animal? In this case, a monkey. This sounds pretty crazy. It also sounds kind of up your alley, given your research. Are they doing like direct, like, are they like directly stimulating brains and doing that kind of work? Yeah. So they were using implanted electrodes. They can both record and be used to stimulate in the like high level cortical areas of the brain, but also they had these sort of longer, thin probes implanted, similar to like what people use for deep brain stimulators. Hmm. Um, and this went into a deeper region of the brain called the thalamus. So the center of consciousness, I'm sure. I mean, yeah. Isn't it? Is Highly it actually, related wow. to consciousness. Okay. So some of the popular news articles that were coming out that got me turned on to this article were uh, one from Science Daily. Researchers stimulate areas vital to consciousness in monkeys' brains, and it wakes them up. Ooh. IFL Science. Scientists switch consciousness on or off in monkeys using tiny brain zaps. Wait. I like that. Brain zaps. Yeah, but doesn't that sort of suggest that monkeys are not conscious? Well, so it all depends on how you describe consciousness. Okay. I'm sure that we, we'll get being it. humans, have made some definition that's very human-centric, but... They... So it's not saying that monkeys aren't conscious, but they were examining consciousness in different states. So, like, okay. your awake consciousness versus sleeping consciousness or sedated consciousness, or lack thereof. Okay. Okay. So... So consciousness not as much in the... Um, in the philosophical sense of being like self-aware. No, not like, it's not like. Like human no consciousness, one's John, you know. John Jacques Rousseau and like the monkey isn't like, <laughs> you know, discovering itself. <laughs> okay. But, so a little different than what I, than what I kind of thought. Yes. But, you know, those are ultimately the questions that people hope to answer with this someday. And so I think it's a stepping stone towards that. In this case, they're really looking at consciousness as more of a state of awareness and an ability to interact with your surroundings. Okay. So like conscious versus unconscious, pretty much. Yes. Okay. Yes. I see. So like they can knock these monkeys unconscious without having to like deal them a, you know, a mean right hook. No. Or like show them some like deep documentary about the universe <laughs> and have them like. Yes. You know. Make them feel insignificant. Yes. Okay. So what, what's the journal paper? So this, the title of the paper is Thalamus Modulates Consciousness Via Layer-Specific Control of Cortex. And this was published in the journal Neuron. Uh, first author is Michelle Redenbaugh. The supervising author is Yuri Salman. Most of the team is from the Department of Psychology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison with some collaborators in Haifa, Israel, and with the Wisconsin National Primate Research Center. Cool. Uh, is that a, since you have, I guess, a little bit of insight into that world, is that a pretty prominent group? Um, yeah, so there are only, I think there are 10 primate research centers across the country. So there aren't many groups who are doing this type of wow, work. that's actually surprising. Yeah, I think at least, like, these are like the national centers. So mm, I see. they're big hubs for research. But it's the first paper I've seen from this group, but sort of digging through some references there. They're publishing a lot. Okay. And it's interesting that they're with the Department of Psychology, too. I thought, oh, usually they're heavily like neuros neuroscience or 
biomedical engineering groups. So Yeah, and that's already starting, I guess, to give me a sense of maybe what direction they're going with this research. Is like they're looking at this more from a psychological perspective than from although I guess, you know, it's also published in a journal called Neuron, so maybe they are looking at it in a neuronal perspective. I I had that same feeling before I started diving into the paper and then I'm like, no, this is like definitely a neuroscience paper. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Is that why it was uh, so hard to read? Well, I mean, I, I see like in the introduction, I started like down this big rabbit hole of like, what is consciousness and like how is philosophy treated consciousness yeah. <laughs> just for my own. I discovered uh, this cool idea of the philosophical zombie, a being that logically disproves the idea that physical some substance is all that's required to explain consciousness. What? Explained more simply, uh, a body that if you poke them, they don't actually feel pain, but they report pain. Does that count as consciousness? Like a robot or something. Yeah. Like if a robot knows that it should feel this as pain and it reports pain and it responds exactly how you expect to, does that count? Yeah, you're kind of... We shouldn't get into that because that's head a hurt. whole another discussion. Yeah, but that's, I mean, okay. <laughs> I can see, I can see how you action. probably went down many, many side roads on this one. So, um, yeah. So, you know, this why don't we like, refocus here? What is consciousness, James? <laughs> <laughs> so, consciousness is defined in the paper as the capacity to experience one's environment and internal states. And... This is really hard to define. It's a source of a ton of debate. Like, yeah. I mean, is that something that's like agreed upon or is that just, that's the definition they say for the purposes of this paper, that's what we're going to call it. It's so loose anyways. It's like, they kind of just say that as like a nice lead in to the rest of the introduction. Oh, okay. But where it actually comes into play in neuroscience is people are trying to boil this down into a way so that they can figure out on a very low level, what are some of the minimal mechanisms that are required to experience consciousness? And these have been dubbed the neural correlates of consciousness, hmm. or in its abbreviated form, NCC. So, like, what are the measurable neural patterns in your brain that somewhat correspond to consciousness? Even if we can't quite figure out, like, exactly, you know, this specific neuron when it talks to this other neuron in this way is giving you consciousness on sort of like a global level if we make measurements across your brain can we say like okay this activity happens in a conscious state uh so i i guess i'm curious like i mean my very limited knowledge of neuroscience i know there's lots of stuff like oh the uh hippocampus is the center of whatever it is that goes on there and the this is the center of this and uh, and you kind of mentioned at the beginning, like, well, the thalamus is sort of the center of consciousness, which is why they're measuring that. D did mm -hmm. you say that and you know that because they found that in this paper? Or are they going deeper than just saying, um, you know, it's, it was already known that the thalamus is just the general region that's associated with consciousness. And they're now trying to go deeper than that. They're trying to go deeper. That's a really good question. So a lot of the high level functions of brain regions, people understand what their functionality is often due to brain injuries that people suffer yeah. or strokes strokes or like trauma and so when you see these specific areas that suffer like from a stroke 
you can see the effect that it has on a person. Like maybe they have, if you have injury to the thalamus, maybe you display changes in consciousness or awareness or sort of like general conscious activity. Yeah. I'm still kind of having a hard time understanding what that even means to say like, oh, they have less consciousness. Like I can only really think of like, oh, a person is unconscious, like they're sleeping or they're knocked out or something. Yeah. So in this case, they're measuring consciousness. I can give you uh, an idea of some of like their measures of consciousness that that they were using. So for this paper, they measured consciousness using this thing called arousal scoring. And so they looked at five different indicators, limb and face movements, oral signs like mouth, jaw, and tongue movements, full jaw openings, uh, other body movements, eye movements, and changes in vital signs. Hmm. Okay. Like in response to a stimulus or just in general? These were just sort of general observations. But then depending on their state of consciousness, they actually use different tasks oh i see okay um i like eye movement tasks that were rewarded with juice okay sounds tasty so just to get back to your question because i think this is really important just to to address here at the beginning before we dive in so yes we sort of understand what globally different areas of the brain do but understanding the communication between different brain areas and how that works they talk about feed forward communication, feedback communication, reciprocal communication. So like one excites and the other inhibits. These types of sort of better defined interactions are still somewhat mysterious. So understanding these pathways would allow us to potentially develop new treatments for people who've suffered brain injuries and are now like minimally responsive. You could think of like coming up with these stimulation regimes that actually help them achieve more awareness and more interaction with people. Wow, that's a really cool idea. Cuz they've already had some success with that for like physical for like physical ailments, like people with um Parkinson's or something. Right? Yes. And even for emotional problems, like really? people who suffer from like extreme depression have found some relief from deep brain stimulation. Wow. That's so cool. And you can imagine it's like insanely challenging though. It's not like, okay, just put an electrode in and stimulate. <laughs> yeah. There are so many variables. It's like what one of the things they found from this paper is like the site at which you stimulate is super important. Like down to hundreds of microns. Really? It can have a huge it can have like either a huge effect or no effect if you're at the wrong area. And also the free the frequency things like that okay well so why don't why don't we get into why don't you tell me more about what they're actually doing then because if, if all that stuff is so important i'm kind of curious to hear what they actually i don't know how they how they even figured that out yeah so i'm gonna i'm gonna talk about it at a somewhat high level because this paper was really dense so yeah, for my benefit interject please, with any questions please do because <laughs> i i have I, a hard time I, with this stuff so they, they want to try to look at these neural correlates of consciousness so they're trying to figure out like what are these brain mechanisms that might be contributing consciousness so the way that they laid this out is they had two monkeys two macaques um, that were healthy and they decided to uh, perform electrophysiological experiments um, looking at three different areas of the brain 
And so by electrophysiological measurement, I mean they recorded neural signals, so like neural spikes and also sort of like global neural activity in small regions. And then they also performed electrical stimulation. So sort of a bidirectional, if you want okay. to say it that way. Were they doing those measurements also with like the same electrodes that they were stimulating with? Or did they have like an MRI or something? Nope, it's with the same electrodes. Okay. So these are invasive. And basically what they do is they remove a small portion of the skull and uh, implant the electrode in. So they looked at three different areas of the brain. One is called the right frontal eye field. It's not like actually part of the eye, but it's part of the brain that's associated with um, awareness and like generally moving the eye. Hmm. Okay. So some sort of like awake awareness, intentionally moving the eye. The other is the lateral intraparietal area, um, which has like a similar tie to awareness and eye movement, but it's a different part of the like cortex, so the surface. And then differently, they went deep into the brain into an area called the central lateral thalamus. And where's that one? So that's like deep in the brain, basically kind of like in the center. If you kind of imagine like the egg yolk. Ooh. It's basically like part of the smack yolk. in the middle. That's where our consciousness is coming from, yes. deep within. <laughs> deep within. Uh, or is it I mean, is this actually analogous to a human brain, or is this more are these three regions like specific to a monkey's brain? No, they they have they're pretty close to what we find in human brains too, which makes this particularly interesting. Okay. Cool. So they're jamming these electrodes in there. And uh what are the actual I mean jam it. Jamming's a brutal word, but I know. yeah. To me, that's that's what it seems like because I don't want anything in my brain. But yeah, besides my brain and my thoughts, but <laughs> and your consciousness. Yeah, maybe. that's true. So, what are they actually yes. doing then with these? Like, what are they? What do they measure, and what does it tell them? So then they wanted to look at brain activity in these three regions in different states, different states of arousal. So they looked at them while the monkeys were awake not performing any tasks, just kind of living their life. They looked at them while they were the monkeys were asleep. And so this is asleep, but particularly in non-rapid eye movement or NREM sleep, which is known to be a state of like basically like very low to zero consciousness. You're not dreaming. You're just kind of unconscious. That's like the period of your sleep that where time just kind of like goes by instantly. Yes. I think it's the initial... It's representing the initial stages of sleep and it's followed by REM sleep where you get into like the deep brain state and like your body kind of goes limp, but your, your mind is very active and almost conscious. Sorry, your mind is active in REM sleep. In REM sleep. Okay. So NREM sleep is of interest because it's low conscious. Okay. So that's like your, okay. And then the third state that they analyzed, which sort of has two substates, is a state of sedation. So they anesthetize the monkeys using two different drugs that have been known to have different targets. So they wanted to control to make sure that when they're performing experiments, they're not just observing some effects from one type of anesthesia. So they tried two different ones in separate cases. Uh, that makes okay. Sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. They want to rule out the potential because if, if, if it's the drug that's causing the unconsciousness, then. Yeah. And they wanted to make sure 
any observations that they made isn't tied to the specific yeah, drug. I see. So they observe these states. And so they're just recording the neural signals in these states to see, okay, you know, when they're awake, what sort of correlations do we see in brain activity from one region to another? Because this starts to give you some idea if you see a lot of activity like in the frontal eye field and part of the thalamus, like is something happening? Another thing that's interesting is it starts to give them an idea of like intra-area communication. So like different parts of the thalamus, they could actually measure depth. So deep layers versus more superficial high layers and then intra-area communication. So between like the thalamus and other areas. Okay, wait, so are they, they're measuring all three of these areas simultaneously? simultaneously okay yep wow and then most importantly they can start to see how do these areas change in different levels of consciousness yeah so there sounds like there's kind of two parts of this which is one is what's happening and the other is how can we modulate it yes right so so i I guess do we want to dive into the first part of that which is what did they see when they were just passively observing so sort of broadly what they found was that the amount of neural spikes, so action potentials that they measured, was state-dependent, so like awake versus sleeping, etc. And then the amount of bursts that they saw, so the number of spikes from different neurons they saw in like a small 2 to 8 millisecond window, they consider those bursts. Hmm. They said um, these bursts appear in different states. So... Well, so you say it's state dependent, but what is the actual dependency? So like, so like more consciousness is more bursts or? So roughly at a high level, they saw lower spike rates during NREM and anesthesia states in the thalamus area they were measuring. However, they saw increased bursting. So lower overall spike rates, but more bursts. Really? Okay. Yes. I was, I was like all, I was getting myself primed to be like, Wow, like big surprising result, fewer spikes when they're when they're asleep. Uh, but then you just threw a curveball at me by saying there was more bursting. More bursting. And I'm sorry that I was going to tease you. I feel guilty. That's all right. I'm over it. I'm over <laughs> it, Charlie. No. So what's wait, how do they explain that? So this is the thing like it's hard to explain, like it's hard to explain the why, but they they can say like, okay, this represents different connections between different states. Hmm. Okay. So well, so what it's did, more observational, I guess. So do they see fewer bursts and more spikes when the monkey was awake? Yeah. So fewer bursts and more spikes. And they noticed that there was a particular dependence in the layer of the thalamus that they were measuring. So I mentioned they were measuring three different areas. That the the IR sorry these the terminology in this is hard. The three regions there's the frontal eye field, the lat lateral intraparietal area, and the thalamus area. In the thalamus, they got depth because it's so deep they could actually measure at different depths. And basically, they found the biggest changes in the deep layer of the thalamus, so like core of the egg yolk. Oh, okay. Now this is making some sense. So, so they're measuring these all these different areas and they're seeing what's the difference in the signals when, when they're between these different states of consciousness. And the thalamus one rings off the most alarm bells for them. The thalamus These like are the, the biggest variants. Right, like in, in the spiking the, and burst rates. The deepest part of the thalamus 
is giving them the most change between those states. Yes. Exactly. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, so th- it, sorry, it makes sense that, that that's what they're observing. It doesn't make sense to me why that is in the thalamus, but yeah. And I mean, I mean, you could have a PhD in neuroscience and you'd probably have a better guess, but like, you know, still <laughs> yeah. like a, the real answer guess. is it just is it's there. That's what we observe. <laughs> the real scientific answer. So, okay. So that's really interesting. Uh, this, this is like a primer to what the really cool part of this study is. This is like the punchline of the whole thing. Ah, okay. Is the stimulation. So measuring this is important to figure out like, okay, which areas are involved? But then this is where it gets crazy, where they start to stimulate the brain. And do they stimulate based on where they measured the activity beforehand or do they stimulate all the areas and see if see if it lines up the same way so i was reading through the methods and they they did stimulate all the areas but they found that sort of in line with these observations only stimulating the thalamus had any effect oh really on consciousness and dude so this is the crazy part they by stimulating a deep part of the thalamus they were able to like essentially wake these monkeys up from an anesthetized state. And by waking up, I mean that like the monkey's eyes were closed and then they open up and they're able to focus and do these eye focusing tasks with like an eye. Have you seen eye trackers? Um, Like a software that like sees where your eyes going. Yeah, they're like, it's like you can wear them like glasses but there's a small camera that points oh. to your eye and it point tracks where your pupil goes yeah i have seen that before very it's very cool yeah so they use that as a way to like detect that these monkeys would wake up and i mean it corresponded exactly with the stimulation periods so they would stimulate and like within less than a few seconds the eyes would wake up they could perform these like reaching tasks or eye movement tasks where they'd be rewarded, like if they move their eye in the correct direction with like a juice reward. And then as soon as they stopped stimulation, it was like, boom, back into anesthetized state. Whoa, dude, that is weird. Isn't that so? Nuts? Like, So the monkey is like drugged, like the monkey has anesthetic. They did these 10 hour like sedation periods so like like the monkey is out for at least two hours before the tests yeah and like when you like when you go under anesthetic at the hospital or something like you get surgery like they can't just like suddenly snap you out of it like 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 the stuff has to get out of your system like it's a drug it's a drug yeah i mean it's like yeah it's targeting receptors in your brain but then they just they just wake it up for like what like a minute do this task and then go back to sleep yeah, these like 20 second periods. It's Dude, crazy. that is insane. Man, I'm already thinking about like, uh, what if you did this to someone who's in a coma? Oh, uh, yeah. I don't even know. Yeah. No, it, like comatose state or like, I've, I've known people who've like fallen skateboarding, for example, and they're never quite the same level of engagement after. There was like a famous documentary recently about a snowboarder who had bad concussions and like, you know, a lot of media intention for like the NFL. Yeah. But uh, I wonder, you know, it just, it starts to open up your imagination about what might be possible. Yeah, totally. So is that the only stimulation that they did was under anesthetic, stimulate the thalamus and do this task? So they did 
other trials to actually to actually determine what was effective or non-effective in terms of stimulation. Hmm. So they looked at uh, site-specific stimulation. So they these probes that they use have electrodes every like 200 micrometers. So they get pretty fine resolution. Wow, yeah. And um, they were able to figure out like which sites they needed to go to to have an effective stimulation and also what frequency they had to use. Oh, really? So they looked at frequencies between 2 to 200 hertz and they found that 500 hertz was the sweet spot wait two or sorry 50 hertz okay was the sweet spot really so that could maybe suggest that that's that you know maybe that's the nature of the activity in the thalamus when you're con or did they measure some like any kind of like 50 hertz signal when the monkeys were conscious i mean they had the probe there yeah (laughs) yeah so so they did find that 50 hertz was one of the prominent frequencies too dude that's insane and I've, and I've left out like one of the other cool things that they actually went into a lot of depth analyzing this. So when they stimulate it, it, their only evidence wasn't just the fact that the monkey's eyes opened and could perform these tasks. They were measuring, remember, they were measuring the brain signals as well. And so what they found was that sort of all of this activity basically returned to the same type of activity you'd see when they were awake and conscious. Wait, so even if even if they're just stimulating that one little area, the rest of the brain behaves normally? Uh, I mean, you can't say the rest of the brain, but like All the areas from the sites measured. that they were measuring returns to a semblance of normalcy, I will say. That's crazy. So they can look at like before and after stimulation, effective or ineffective stimulation, and compare those. And so there's a big change... Like when they stimulate correctly, you can. They have this great plot showing the different um, recording sites, like w- while the monkey is anesthetized. So it's like a plot over time with different channels, and they indicate where they stimulate, and you just see this total change across the board. Wow, that's really insane. So I mean, mm-hmm. this one little area in the thalamus somehow is like overriding what the drugs did to the rest of the brain. Yeah, at least partially. Like it's it's degree. like governing, you know, it's like governing the whole activity. Yeah, yeah. Sort Man, of, that's yeah, really overriding cool. Drug effect. This is very yeah. different from what I expected this paper to be, based on the title. Really? And the uh, and the news stories. Yeah. Okay. I mean, cool. I just, I mean, when it was talking about like consciousness and waking them up and yada yada, I kind of thought it was in more of the like. You know, I don't know, like not not consciousness. I mean, I've already said this a couple times now, but not like the awake asleep kind of sense. But I thought it was in the suddenly these monkeys became self-aware and like exhibited more critical thinking and, you know, were <laughs> kinder to their neighbors or like Coco, like they learn sign. language. Yeah, learn sign language. And then, you know, and then Robin Williams you turn it off and they start flinging poop at each other. No, that is a, there is a paper that's kind of like that, though. Really? Uh, I think we've talked about it, not with monkeys flinging poop, but uh, using optogenetic stimulation on mice oh, to yeah. turn them like super aggressive. Make them really mean. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Maybe you can combine these two somehow. <laughs> I mean, so that was one of the things that they said, not talking about aggressive mice, but like finding out like these effective, the effective sites and the effective frequencies 
they're like, this could be really helpful for informing other different types of studies. Yeah, totally. That try to do, even if they're using different like stimulation. Right, methods, different like stimulations. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Or maybe even different communications relays. Like, for example, something that uses RFID, low low size, weight, and power. <laughs> you know, why? Wire- <laughs> I'm just throwing around buzzwords oh. from my research. Yeah. You know, some sort of wireless brain implant that could maybe increase data rates while reducing power consumption and weight. Ooh, yeah. If only, if only there was someone on this podcast who was working on that. Yeah. All right, you got me. <laughs> <laughs> Go search for alien life around Neptune, Charlie. <laughs> so what? So what else from this paper? Any other like neat things besides the very neat things we've already talked about? Truthfully, I mean, there was there were a lot of like neat analyses that they did. It's like a very dense paper. It would take hours for me to actually like try to explain it to my level of understanding. But no, I, I mean, just overall, I thought it was really interesting. And the discussion I thought was particularly interesting too. We've talked about a lot of the big things, but what's neat in this paper is they started, they were able to actually measure some connections between different brain areas because they could simultaneously record from three areas mm-hmm. and start to look at some of these complex reaction complex interactions i should say so that was that was cool to see yeah uh and that sounds like it's maybe maybe fairly unique in the literature like having these multi-site measurements at the same time multi-site measurements at the same time and especially to do this in primates i think there's been a lot of work in rats and Mm. they mentioned a lot of work that's been done in cats but hmm there are a lot of problems trying to extrapolate results from rats to humans. Like, I think there's a whole Twitter dedicated to that where they just like yeah. talk about the research and then they say in mice. Yeah. Cause they're like, this doesn't correlate yeah. with humans. Also rats, so, ca- rats, cats, and monkeys would make a sweet band name. Dude. Copyright that. Yeah. For someone listening steals it. Yeah. Or we could even make it's a whole like podcast. Rat. Yeah. Mouse rat. Exactly. <laughs> um, Yeah. Yeah, for the next for our next podcast. Yeah, well, yeah, cool. uh, it was cool. Um, we'll post links to this and some of the popular news articles. It's worth skimming through, honestly, just for the the graphics. I think you'll get a lot just looking at those if it's something that's of interest to you. Mm. And that's high praise coming from you. You're a, you're a graphic connoisseur. I'm a graphics kind of guy. Mm-hmm. As someone who made a beautiful monkey graphic at one point. You you can certainly attest. <laughs> you're making you're making me blush, Charlie. You're making me blush on the radio. Yeah, I like your graphics. I'm, that's all I'm saying. Thanks, man. Yeah, so we'll we'll have a link up to this on our Twitter and Instagram at Paperboys Pod. Before we go, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring it up. Uh, we'd really love it if you checked out our Patreon, Patreon.com/PaperboysPod. It's a great way to support the show. Uh, me and James love doing the podcast, uh, but the the Patreon really gives us a whole new kind of incentive for this. And it's a lot its a lot of fun to do bonus episodes where we just kind of dive into these like historical papers or silly stuff like this month is about can you fall in love with someone by asking 36 extremely personal questions. Uh, we just do kind of like more fun, more out there things and uh, take listener recommendations pretty often. And uh, it's, it's, I don't know, I've had a lot of fun doing it, James. Yeah, absolutely. And 
I mean, 100% of the funds from Patreon go right back into the podcast. Charlie and I um, use that to get our equipment to pay for website hosting, podcast hosting, and currently looking at ways of exp- expanding the content as well. So um, if you like Paper Boys, there's no better way to support it than Patreon. Yeah, so uh, go check that out and please join us next week for another exciting edition of Paper Boys. Thanks for listening. <laughs>